0: you <music> More people have climbed Mount Everest than have swum the English Channel. That's how tough it is. But it hasn't stopped my guest today. She's just swum the channel solo in just over 15 hours, and she's done it to highlight the issue of water pollution. I'm journalist Angela Walker, and in this podcast, I talk to inspirational people and discuss underreported issues. Today, I'm in conversation with Laura Reinecker. Laura, thanks for joining us. Um, Thank you. First of all, congratulations. Such a huge achievement. How do you feel? It was the best day ever. It was the toughest
1: day ever, but the best day ever. Absolutely fantastic. So what was it like? What were the conditions like for that swim? Well, I started at about 2.30 in the morning, so it started off at night, uh, and the sky was really dark, the sea was really dark, it was quite cloudy, and there was no differentiation really between the sea and sky, and there was a big swell. It wasn't choppy, but there was a big swell, so the boat was going up and down, I was going up and down, and I've never been uh, seasick or motion sick before, but I was. And for the first three hours, I was retching and being sick and I actually thought the first three hours was eight hours that's how bad it felt and I was in my head you get little demons and this demon saying you're not going to make it because you can't keep your feet down you you, you're now feeling cold because you're feeling poorly and then you think just put your big boy pants on and do it you've Uh trained for so long just do it so the sky got a bit lighter I started to feel better
0: uh and then the sun came up, and I warmed up a bit, so it was all good.: Amazing. So how can you possibly train for something like that? Talk us through it. You have to be completely single-minded. You have to know that you
1: have done everything in your power to make it to France, so that if you are pulled out for medical reasons or, or any reason at all, um, it, you know it's not your fault, because that could really um, that would be a very tough uh, thing to get over.
0: Yeah. Is it like when you run a marathon and then you like hit the wall and you're like, I don't think I can carry on anymore. And then suddenly you manage to get this kind of burst of energy that like sees you through. I didn't actually hit a wall.
1: I had done all my training. I think out of the whole year's training, I only missed three sessions. Um, and I had literally dedicated my, any spare time to, to training. So I didn't hit a wall. I'd done the training. I was okay. Um, I, I, some people do hit a wall and you have to get past that. I think probably my wall wasn't a physical one. It was that first mental one. 90% of it, I would say, is, is, is mental strength rather than physical Gosh. And how cold was the water? Do you know what temperature it was? Well, it was between 16 and 19. So it's always slightly colder on the English side, of course. And then in the middle, in the separation zone, you get really cold and hot patches. It's very strange. You'd think as it's one body of water, it would all be one temperature, but it isn't. And then on the French side, it got to 19 almost in inshore waters.
0: So, and it's about 20 miles, am I right? 21. 21, yeah, the extra mile, makes all the difference. So that's, a, a, and you're swimming for a long time. What kind of things do you see while you're swimming that distance? So it's a, I actually swam 56 kilometres. Um,
1: you don't see an awful lot. It's quite, um, the water's quite milky um, and you can don't see a huge amount, but there are a lot of jellyfish. Jellyfish are the cleaners of the sea, so there seem to be a lot more of them at the moment because we're filling our waterways with Mm. poo.
0: Yeah, I definitely want to talk to you about the sewage pollution, actually. But back to the swim, did you see any boats or any traffic? Yes, lots of traffic. So
1: you go, there there are different zones in the channel. You start off on British inshore waters and then you have um, the British shipping lane where the ships go one way and then you have a separation zone and the French shipping lane where the ships go the other way and then in French inshore. Uh, So yes, you see a lot of
0: huge huge tankers and 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 things like that wow that's amazing and there you are in the water so small bobbing around <laughs> trying to make your way to france when you think of it like that it does sound a bit strange doesn't it um
1: i think we as swimmers normalize things like this so it really for me it was just another's day swimming even though it was massive don't get me wrong um it, it was just another day swimming because we we you have to normalize it in order to be able to do it because actually in, in real fact it
0: is um an, an extreme sport yeah of course of course yeah. it's so far yeah um and of course you've got like a support boat yeah. and um told me through what kind what the supports like who's there what are they doing to help
1: so you have a pilot boat um and he has his own crew and he so there was my pilot, Eddie Spelling, and he had two crew. Uh, and then I have my own crew. There were three people on my crew, my friend Lee, uh, another friend, another mermaid, Joni, and uh, Debbie Fraser. So one person fed me and kept control of my uh, nutrition. Mm-hmm. One updated social media, and we were live on uh, BBC Radio Berkshire quite a lot that day. And the other one was sort of motivational and kept me going on relaying messages from friends and family from the whatsapp group onto a whiteboard so i could see some of them great Mm. i bet that kept you going did it oh absolutely yes that and debbie was amazing on my feed um i didn't even know what was coming next i couldn't really i tried to eat some solids but they all just feel like dust in your Mm. mouth with the salt and um so it was liquid feed only really
0: how did she do that yeah
1: so it's on a it's on a line on a reel basically wow. and they so chuck a bottle to you um on a line you down it as quickly as you can still kicking so you're not losing ground and then
0: drop it and they put reel it back in again wow mm. what a setup yeah, gosh it's, it's amazing yeah. um so talk to me about the henley mermaid how did that get started and what's that all about it
1: got started about 6 years ago we all i've known Two of the mermaids for a very long time because of our kids are, are similar ages. Um, but we all really met through Henley Open Water Swimming Club and decided that we didn't just want to swim on a Saturday when the club swims were. So we set up a WhatsApp group, which I called Henley Mermaids. Mm-hmm. And we swam together, we get on really well. We're like sisters, we bicker as well and we argue and we, you know, it, it's just like a family. Um, and uh, I had the bright idea one year because I'd heard other people have been doing it and another another group in the club had done it, um, to do a, an English Channel Relay. And uh, I managed to con all the others into the fact that it was a really good idea. <laughs> so that was in 2020. So we um, we did the English Channel in Relay in 2020 and then the Bristol Channel in 2021. And last year, the North Channel um, and... We've, we do various other swims. And each year we have a charity we raise money for. So it sounds it like it's sort of escalated. It has gone <laughs> mad. It has escalated hugely. Mainly because last year uh, our charity was Surfers Against Sewage. Mm-hmm. So Jo Robb, who's one of the Mermaids, she is also Green Councillor on South Oxfordshire District Council. And she's been going on about the sewage pollution for some time. Um, so she initiated it, really. Um, and then we've all just... Learned a huge amount through Surface Against Sewage to begin with, and then uh, another thing we did last year was swim the length of the Thames from source at Castle Eaton uh, to uh, to Henley. And on our last stretch in November, we had a we swam under the bridge and then had a protest in Henley against sewage pollution. And from there, it just skyrocketed, and um, we now are uh, amongst some of the top campaigners in the country for clean water.
0: What can we do about this sewage pollution? Because, I mean, I've done podcasts on this, I've been reporting on it myself over the years, and um, there is a legal case being brought against some of the water companies for under-reporting the amount of sewage mm. that they are dumping. Mm. But what do you think can be done?
1: I think the only thing we can do, we're slightly powerless in this, uh, is educate, really. Um, we've, the, the, the failing water companies have relied on our ignorance. To what's been going on, and they've been uh, they've been unregulated because the regulators, uh, Environment Agency of what have just uh, been underfunded, lost all their all their money. They have not been pulling them up or regulating them in any way, almost. Um, so they've just been getting away with it. But now they're beginning not to get away with it. We need a government that will um, put really really strong environmental measures in place not soften them like they're trying to do at the moment and we need to make change soon we, we are in a, a, a serious water emergency um Thames Water are extracting a, a huge amount of water from our waterways um and then putting it back into the system for us to use and then use, losing a third of it to leaks um, so our rivers are really low And they get even lower and then they spill sewage into it. So it's much more concentrated. It's killing wildlife. It's killing, oh, the the rivers are in really, really poor health and some are dead. Uh, The only way we can do it is to make everybody aware so that they can't get away with anything any longer.
0: What do you think about this uh, legal action? How confident
1: do you feel about that? Oh, very confident. We have proof that they have illegally dumped uh, what what is known as dry spill spills when there hasn't been any rain. In fact, one was on the hottest day of the year last year when there were hundreds of people in the river cooling off. Um, they come up with all sorts of excuses that, they, oh, no, that wasn't a spill. I know it was on the EDM map, which is their, their monitoring of spills. Oh, but it was actually a mistake in one of the uh, readings. Well, it's not true. We do have proof that they have illegally spilt.
0: Yeah, it's supposed to be in, in exceptional circumstances. Yes. And one might argue if it's for 100 days of the year consecutively, that's not exceptional, is it? That's no. the norm. No. The sewage treatment works simply don't have the capacity. You've been in good company because I know that you've done some campaigning with Fergal Sharkey and I've seen you with uh, Steve Backshall. Uh, how, how has it been kind of like working alongside campaigning alongside people like this?
1: We've had a fantastic thing. We call it mermaiding. And we've taken our mermaiding to some fantastic places purely by the power of saying yes to things. Um, We've got to do things that nobody gets to do. For instance, we got invited uh, to Chelsea Flower Show by a sculptor who uses um, reclaimed things in her gardens along with her sculptures. And we had to pose in our swimming costumes on press day at Chelsea Flower Show and that sort of thing. But... And we've been, we've got to go to the Houses of Parliament with Fergal Sharkey and we've got to go to Steve Batchel's house and film with him, what a lovely man um, and we all swam in the river outside his house um, and yeah, we get to do some really fantastic things and these people are really important to us because they're basically our heroes and they are supporting the campaign that sort of thing will make a difference
0: So where are you going next with this campaign against sewage pollution?
1: We are continuing our campaign and we'll we'll just keep going until our river is happy and healthy um the poor thames is 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 really limping along um it it it's in really poor health um we want to see first of all the thames cleaned up we want sewage treatment work in henley to have a proper upgrade so sewage treatment work's some sewage treatment works are due for upgrade in 2025. Thames Water are only spending about two million on each upgrade, which means that they're not doing enough of an upgrade to stop them spilling. So there's absolutely no point in them doing it. They also aren't providing any sort of cleaning system to clean off the bacteria. So at the moment, all the all the sewage that passes through sewage treatment works and comes out the other side as treated effluent and is apparently clean water is hasn't been cleaned of bacteria so it's still got pharmaceuticals in it so it's got antibiotics recreational drugs it's got hormones e coli and and um, and all the all the things that fecal bacteria produce um, and that's going straight into our waterways and generally it's released into the tributaries that feed the waterways where things like places where fish go to breed so we've got antibiotic-resistant fish. Swan numbers are down. It's, it's, it's really a horrific tale that, can,
0: that people
1: don't realise quite the scale of. And I know you, we
0: sort of touched on it earlier, is in that the government was trying to relax the rules to do with um, building new houses. How can we get this balance between looking after our waterways but also providing new homes which are desperately needed? It won't cost any more to use rainwater collection
1: systems than it will to join it up to our combined sewers. Our problem here is we have combined sewers, so all the runoff from roofs goes in with all the um, all the uh, the the water from your your toilet system. This is our problem. But there's been no investment into infrastructure since privatisation. You know, foreign companies own our water. Own our water, and it's easy for them. They're making really easy money and having absolutely no consequences. It, we need to have new. In fact, we need to have existing houses moved over to rainwater collection and to brown water use for our loo's and for 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 that sort of thing. We are in a water emergency. North London in the very near future will be uh, will be rationed on their water. We are running out. It's a shared resource that isn't shared. So over 50% of the water that we use is used by the elite and the mega rich up in the Chiltern Hills with their swimming pools, their hot tubs and their big gardens they're watering. The other 50% is used by the rest of us. So it's not a shared resource that it should be.
0: That's really fascinating. I had no idea about that at all. Yeah. Um, And I want to touch on something else that you're really passionate about, which is Henley Music School. Yeah. Tell me about your involvement. And I know that you're in a bit of trouble at the moment.
1: Yes, like many charities, we're struggling to raise the funds. So uh, about 16, 17 years ago, I set up Henley Music School. I set up Henley Music School um, in response to uh, the government's pulling of funding for schools, when my children were at primary school, in fact. Um, And Uh, people kept coming up and asking me to teach Johnny the Violin or to run the orchestra. And as I was running the orchestra, eventually it got to just my three children in the orchestra. And I realised that kids just weren't learning music. In fact, some schools, they weren't even singing in assembly. And in in other schools, there wasn't even a teacher that could read music. So I thought, well, something has to be done here because there is nobody um, to teach this subject and the kids simply aren't learning it. So it started off as sort of after school club and a bit of a Um, you know groups and individual lessons Um, and at that time the Henley Festival set up um, a, a children's orchestra called the Henley Festival Orchestra and I ran that for a while. When they pulled funding for that, they asked me to take it on as any music school, which I did. And suddenly I got like 70 extra kids. So I thought, oh dear, I need a bit of governance now. So it made it into a community interest company. And it just grew and grew to the point that we need 60 grand a year to run. So we made charitable conversion. And up until about two years ago, we, well, COVID really, um, raising the 60 grand a year wasn't too difficult i mean it was work but it wasn't too difficult since covid um it has become really virtually impossible and that's no exaggeration everybody's feeling the pinch our usual funders are either not engaging at all or just aren't giving as much um and because they're inundated with applications by all the other charities that are struggling the the worst thing about all of this is these charities shouldn't exist. I sh- shouldn't be campaigning for Clean Waterways. I shouldn't be running a music school because the government should be doing these things. They should be providing our children with a decent all-round education to make them decent human beings and, and active in communities and making the, the world better than when they, they arrived in it. At, at the moment, they're not. In many cases, they children leave school feeling... Absolutely useless because they've been made to do maths, English and science and that is it. That child may be a fantastic artist, a musician, a, a creative and it's, they've been made to do these subjects that they're not good at so they leave with, with low grades and then they're made to feel um, silly and then they go and hang around on street corners and behave badly. They don't become decent members of society because they don't feel like they're, they're
0: wanted or needed or they're worth anything. So what role, tell me how it works, at Henley Music School. Do you go into schools and teach kids? Okay. How, like, Talk me through that. So we provide all forms of music education to anybody.
1: So we do curriculum in-school lessons, we do in-school clubs, after-school clubs, individual lessons, ensemble work, groups, everything you can think of. And for all of those activities, uh, we provide bursaries of up to 100%, so, and free loan of an instrument, And we work with the school budget, so no school pays the full price. What we try to do is take away any barriers to learning music. So refugees get automatic free lessons. Pupil premium children, that's children on free school meals, automatically get free lessons. And uh, some children on the autism spectrum get specialist piano lessons. Now, we do this in a school in Henley that has um, a high number of children with additional needs. And the head there is absolutely amazed at the difference in their attitude to learning their 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 behavior and how it has affected the whole the whole class because they are more engaged and they're looking forward to playing the piano and their their brains are being used differently
0: why is music so effective is such a healer do you think it makes you feel something
1: people like different styles of music different i mean you'll listen to different things from me um but everybody listens to music because it makes you feel something. It uses a different part of our brain. And many of these children now aren't having that part of their brain used. But it's the part of the brain that makes you your fine motor skills better, your, your teamwork better, your, your, your concentration, uh, confidence, everything. And the kids now, the, the COVID children that are now in school, have a really low understanding of communication. The teachers are really struggling with the cohort of kids that have grown up small. Um, and music is a brilliant way of bringing them together and making them work as a team and and being able to relate to each other.
0: But they're just not getting it. So how serious is the situation with Henley Music School and what will be the consequences if you can't get this funding together? It's very serious. We are at uh, zero as of the end of this month. Um,
1: we have had to put a halt on all bursaries. So we are not paying um, our teachers. Luckily, some of our teachers are carrying on anyway. Um, and we are just really struggling. I'm looking at taking redundancy or unpaid sabbatical to save the charity money in order that we can preserve these bursaries and provide our, what we promise we will provide Um but that leaves me as the only income earner in my household without an income. We're at an emergency stage. We need funds
0: now. If anyone's listening and they work for a company that might be able to help out, or they could be an individual that wants to help out, what's your message to them?
1: Please come and talk to me. I can tell you all about music school and I can show you the benefits that these children feel. Um, people might think that oh well the county council have a music service but they've never had a music service in Henley because Oxfordshire is such a long thin county the teachers mainly come from Oxford um, and they're not going to drive for an hour each way to teach two clarinet pupils or something like that we really need it in Henley Um, all kids need it
0: people might think well Henley it's quite an affluent area why does it need a music charity what would you say to those people it on the out facing face of
1: Henley yes it would look affluent and don't get me wrong there are a lot of very wealthy people in Henley but equally there's a whole other side of it we have the same families from low income it's no different from any other, any other town really um, only that it looks
0: posh Laura thank you so much for talking to me today it's been a pleasure thanks, thanks for having me Thanks for listening and I hope you've enjoyed the show. Today I've been in conversation with Henley Mermaid and English Channel swimmer Laura Reinecker. If you have enjoyed the show, do leave us a rating and subscribe because it does mean that due to the algorithms, more people will get to find out about the podcast. And if you'd like to get in touch, drop me a line through my website on AngelaWalkerReports.com